0: This is the Trout Bitten Podcast.
1: Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten.
0: So this is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Dominic Swantoski, the owner of Trout Pitten and author of TroutPitten.com. I'm joined today by my friends Bill Dell, Josh Darling, Austin Dando, and Trevor Smith. This is our seventh podcast episode in the first season, and we've done this enough now to get into a rhythm. If you listen to previous episodes, uh, you know that we've kept the topics tightly focused on just one aspect of fly fishing for trout. And before we dig into those topics, we always do a question and answer session with my friends. But we're mixing it up today. This is Freewheeling trout bitten. Uh We're going to do a full podcast of questions and answers here. Just a free-form discussion about trout fishing on a fly rod. And probably a few other things mixed in too. A couple of these questions are from listeners. This podcast series has garnered tremendous support from the beginning. And we've encouraged listeners to send us questions. Some of you have, and we'll answer a couple of those questions here tonight. But most of these questions are just things that we want to ask each other. In truth, this is the kind of discussion that happens around the tailgate and the grill every time my friends and I fish together. So let me kick this off with a quick question. Let's get right into it. This is uh, from Marcus in Utah by way of Instagram. Let's all answer this one real quick. Guys, what's your favorite variation of a pheasant tail nymph, or how do you tie your pheasant tail? Josh, what do you think?
2: Yeah. Usually I tie mine on a jig hook. Every once in a while, it's a scud hook, but usually it's it's a small jig hook. Yep. And then um, it's pretty simple. It's only pheasant tail. So for the tail and the body, it's just pheasant. It's a small copper wire, and uh, I've, I vary in the in the color. Usually, it's just an orange hot spot. Mm. That's my favorite. Yeah, with a copper bead. Copper bead.
1: Fire what? orange or
2: just orange orange? No, no. It's kind of a burnt orange. It, it's what I use on most. Uh, honestly, it's kind of like it's kind of
3: the confidence color for me. Got it. Yep. What do you think, Austin? What's yours? All right. I tie mine on a straight shank hook, Um, copper bead, uh, 10 or 15,000-sled wire, pheasant tail for the tail, and then I get Mm -hmm. different. Oh, boy. Here we go. (laughs) Here it comes. (laughs) You you tie down the pheasant tail to the bead, and you kind of build that taper on the body, and then you cut it off. Mm. You go back to the base of the tail. You tie in your small copper rib, Mm. and then you grab your chocolate brown dubbing. You dub your noodle. <laughs> you dub your body. That's not a pheasant tail. You dub the body. Okay. Up to the bead, mm-hmm. wrap your rib, um, tie that off, and then just a very skinny, um, just standard red um, hotspot. Whip uh, finish, and you're done. And that's a pheasant. Well, what do you call it? I call that the pseudo pheasant. <laughs> of course you it's do. It's got pheasant tail Because it's almost <laughs> a real one.
0: Now, do you Almost. think that that does a better job than just keeping that pheasant tail on there and wrapping it
3: forward? Um, I don't think either of them does a better job. It's just what <laughs> I'm better at. For some reason, <laughs> the pheasant tail pains me.
1: Got it. All right. Hey, Trevor, what do you have, man? What's yours? Yeah. Scud hook. I use, I've use. i been using turkey tail for about three years. Mm. I shot a turkey a few years ago, and some of its tail feathers have really nice long fibers that have a, they're, they're a nice brown colored, but they have kind of a mottled gray in it yep. and I just like how they look. Um, so I've been using that. My tail is usually CDL. Sometimes I use pheasant. Sometimes I use the turkey. Um, I switch it up and <laughs> no dubbing <laughs> and <laughs> I use fire orange for my hot spot and a copper bead. You may not use dubbing, but you don't use pheasant tail either yeah (laughs) that's right it's mostly not much not much
0: (laughs) Enter cdl for a tail that's not really a pheasant tail but thanks you know for answering marcus's question anyway (laughs) 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 closest thing in your box to a pheasant tail yeah
4: what brown what brown nymph do you fish yeah right yeah Yeah, all right right, bill bill what brown nymph do you fish sir i'm not at all consistent in how i tie them i tie them different every time The one that I have the most consistent luck on is a straight shank tungsten bead with copper wire, uh, pheasant tail tail, wrap it up, and then wrap the pheasant tail one way, wrap the Mm. copper wire the opposite way, and then tie it off. Put a little bit of grayish SLF spike dub. I think it's like a squirrel spike dub. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Put Put a little bit of that on there and then a chartreuse hot spot on the front. Huh. Change up Char-truise. at the end there. How about it? Yeah. Yeah. grandom huh. Do you fish that all year round? Yeah, I think it. it in the huh. winter, it's really good. Like, especially when there's a lot of case caddis around, right. it fishes <laughs> right. really well. Right. Now, Bill, this is like size two to four, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's the only way to go for Bill. <laughs> big yeah. fish. Oh. Bill has notoriously huge flies. Big pheasant 1X. tails. That's right. <laughs> big pheasant tails for big trout. Uh, so that green right there, right? I mean, you guys know, when we fish around here right now, like every other cast when I touch, um, I got a cased caddis on my hook. You guys, yeah. <laughs> right? it's yeah. yeah. a cased caddis. If you take the larva out of there, it's green. It's bright green. Let me ask you guys this too. Uh, so Bill says he kind of does it different every time. For me, all right, so mine is a scud hook, copper bead, uh, only pheasant tail with a copper rib, no legs or dubbing, and then a thin red collar for a hot spot. And for me, that's been the same way for, I'm going to say, 15, 20 years. And I don't want to do it any, any differently. And I don't want any of your pheasant tails in my box because <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't have the confidence in them. So I'm the tire. I'm the guy who I do tie it the same way every time. And I have that high confidence. Do you guys mix it up like Bill? Or you, or, I mean, I have I have patterns in my box, which I'm goofing around with. But I'm saying those standards, I want them to be the same every time.
2: Hmm. So, the one that I just described, I always have in there and it's always tied the same. But I do have other pheasant tails as well. That's just my favorite. And so I have more standard, like Frenchies with like a orangish, pinkish dubbing, small amount of dubbing in the front, that kind of thing. I have some mm-hmm. with gold beads, I have some with
1: nickel beads. What do you think special about pheasant tail in the first place? I think pheasant tail has little fibers that move, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, I think, but I think the turkey tail does too. (laughs) Of course, I disagree with that. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. the micro (laughs)
2: movement.
3: The The pseudo pheasant doesn't uh, doesn't rely on micro movement. I think it just (laughs) imitates a lot of the creatures that live down on the bottom of the riverbed, and if it's drifted uh, properly. Uh, it gets taken for any sort of uh, macroinvertebrate. Bugs have legs, man. They trout look for that. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> they, they listen
1: for it. I do <laughs> think it's... <laughs> they listen for the your lateral
0: lines pick up that, <laughs> yeah. that micro-movement. The, the micro-barbules yeah, of the pheasant
3: tail. Yeah.
4: There is something a little bit special yeah. about pheasant tail as, as a material. I don't think the fish care, I guess. Uh, to me, it's more about the weight. If I want it to be weighted less, I'll put a brass bead on if I want to weigh it weighted more, I'll put a tungsten bead. Sure. But why does the weight why does the weight matter to you? Whether I'm fishing it with dry dropper or, or off of a tag, if I fish it dry dropper, I'd rather fish brass beads. Sure. But
1: but you think the weight has something to do with how you catch fish? Like how successful the pattern is?
4: No, I think it'll pull my caddis under more likely if it had a tungsten bead on it. Your dry and caddis. I, my dry caddis. Interesting. I thought you meant like
1: the the change in movement of that fly in the current or something like mm.
0: that. I'll point out too. I know Bill, you don't. You're Mister No Split Shot. But for me, I I don't need multiple uh, weights of my own pheasant tail. And if I if they're eating my sixteen, but I want to get deeper, I'm just gonna throw a little bit of split shot on, or pair it up with another nymph. Anyway, so the weight to me doesn't matter that much. Here's a related question for you on that: mm-hmm. Is what what size do you guys go
2: in head? Because you see a lot of nymphs right now being tied with like really oversized yep. bead heads, right. really oversized, where, where it looks like the trout is most likely just taking a big shiny bead that's floating down through the water. And
0: it is. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. the bead takes up 50%, my, my mark is 50% of the fly, then that's what they're the, eating. But p- The pertagons, man. Yeah, it could be anything <laughs> back there, you know, thread yeah. Or, yeah. or or quill. It doesn't matter. They're just going to eat it. Yeah. Four, four millimeter bead on a 16. There you go. (laughs) No, I mean, I think a lot of that comes from, well, the competition scene because they can't use split shot. So they're going to, and they want heavy flies. So they're going to put, you know, a three millimeter bead on a 16, maybe, you know. Um, I like more standard proportions. I like where maybe the bead is 30%. I'm just throwing a number out there uh, of the fly. And so I maintain those proportions. And if I want to be heavier, I just put a little bit of split shot on.
3: Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. taper. Yeah. I think yeah. about taper the most when I'm tying flies. So I want that uh, you know, skinny at the bottom, mm. um, kind of carrot shape at the head. Um, I don't like it to be a um, really thin profile the whole way up and then just hit a dramatic bead. Uh, I don't like that. I don't like it either, but I I also just acknowledge that they eat it. I mean, I, I do that. I've tested it,
0: even though I don't like the look of them. I've tested it. Yeah. it like I said, it does. they just eat it because it's a bead. Yeah, I wouldn't argue that. Sometimes I do. Yeah. St- I, honestly, I do still think they profile, you know, a, a better, uh, a nymph that has a more natural profile better. I, I do, mm-hmm. but boy, not by much.
4: Yeah. I think drift outweighs the fly tremendously. What do you mean by that? Yeah. I think your presentation is way above any, any fly change. Yeah. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're presenting the fly, Right. Like Dom's saying, it, they'll eat, you know, basically a bead whip finished on a on a hook. Sure. I mean, I think
0: we probably all agree that the the presentation is paramount. However, I always like to say to people, um, I bet I could give you a fly that wouldn't catch fish today. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can mm. you can certainly deviate so much from something reasonable mm-hmm. that they're not gonna eat it. And there is a reason where where, like I told you my my favorite pheasant tail, and there's a reason where I why I have the confidence in that. Because I have used other stuff, and I do feel like my well, that my fly outperforms all of yours. <laughs> <laughs> it, I know it doesn't. But I, I got that feeling. You have to. Otherwise, you wouldn't fish it. Yeah. I like it. Hey, so we, we should probably move on and not just make this the uh, Pheasant Tail Podcast. <laughs> this is the Free Wheel and Trout bitten Podcast. So, all right, let's roll with the questions.
1: Bring them on, guys. What do you have? Do you guys have a favorite junk fly? And if so... How and when do you fish it? We're still talking flies. <laughs> Bill, just go ahead, get it out of the way. Doesn't
4: matter. <laughs>
0: you just throw, <laughs> throw anything out there
4: as long as it's big. I don't fish junk. Honestly, I'm probably, amongst all you guys, I probably fish junk flies the least. I disagree. Sure. I bet I fish less junk
3: flies than you do. Really? I don't even have any. Oh, man. Wow.
2: So, what do you guys consider? a junk? I mean, would you consider a green weenie a junk fly? Yes.
4: Okay, mm mm-hmm. then that. Uh, then it, yeah, then if that's considered <laughs> a junk fly, I'm a yeah. green weeny above and beyond is probably the, the second most popular fly I catch fish on. I disagree. That's not a junk fly. Okay, go ahead. okay, a, okay standard that, 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 green that
0: changes
3: things then has its place in a traditional yeah. lineup.: Yeah, me too, but I still call it a junk fly.
0: Tell me why it's junk. Because it's chartreuse. <laughs> because <of> what? Yeah. <laughs> so what? So it's a fly that comes out of that case. All right, but then in that in that same vein, then then an egg is is not a junk fly.
2: I agree. Okay, so is it just? Well, but then a what
0: a, I mean a worm is just a worm, right? Right along those same lines, yeah. every ju- what I call junk fly in my box in my box represents or looks a heck of a lot like something that the trout are very used to eating. That green weenie looks like a rhyacophilia larva. Um, it also, of course, looks like uh, inchworms in the summertime. The egg, mm-hmm. of course, looks like an egg. You know, the, squ- the squirmy worm looks like an aquatic worm. They all look okay. like something. Let me reframe my argument then. <laughs> anyway i call them all, all those i call them junk flies put them off in there too <laughs> they got a crazy bright mm-hmm. color for the majority of the body
1: they're all super easy to tie is it have something to, i mean is that why we call it a junk fly or is it just that it's so flashy and i think it's a junk fly because it does it doesn't represent necessarily represent a mayfly
0: or you know your traditional representation of a caddis fly something like that
4: perhaps it is oddly colored i considered a junk fly once upon a time, something that was tied with a non-traditional mm. uh, material, like that wasn't sold at a fly shop. Mm. So, but now the fly shops have moved on to selling moth flies, to yeah. sell like to selling the the worms and stuff. Right. Like once upon a time some of that stuff wasn't something you would buy at a fly shop.
1: That's
0: a good point. I mean, that's a good way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. To me, it just yeah. was always, again, th- those odd flies. I, I feel like you- we can leaf through our fly box and go, oh yeah, there's a junk fly. There's a junk fly. And to me, it's not even a derogatory term. I know everybody jokes about it. Like, oh, you're getting the mops and the squirmies out. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> that's what they're eating. Um, for us around here, I think we all all acknowledge they're not going to take something that, first of all, isn't presented well and that doesn't have some kind of Natural look to it. For example, the mops. Mm-hmm. I fish a tan mop, a tan slash cream mop, and I fish a green one. You know, the chartreuse one. The chartreuse is just like a big version of the uh, of the green weenie for me. And I already said what I think that represents. And then the tan one, the tan slash cream one, for me looks an awful lot like a crane fly larva. Crane flies that have spindly little things in the air, but underneath, yeah. man, they're a, they're a big mm. larva. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if I throw like a purple mop, and I've tried it a purple mop, an orange mop, stuff like that. they rarely eat it,
1: so let me let me state my question again <laughs> with a with, with a broad definition, broad definition of junk fly. what's your favorite junk fly, and how
4: do you fish it and mm. when as far as my favorite, I would say the mop just because I can tie it in thirty seconds, and then i you can catch a couple dozen fish on it, and it doesn't fall apart mm. um as far as fishing it, I think. It's a great beginner fly because it doesn't sink directly to the bottom. And so if you have like a new person that you're working with trying to get in the nymph, that fly won't drop directly to the bottom. And so it helps them kind of ride that sweet spot a little bit better if they're having trouble controlling the line and the retrieve. And so that that mop kind of um, it's almost like it's neutrally buoyant. At a, at a point, it gets down to that zone, and if you really want it to, it'll kind of hold that
3: zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easy to see too, yeah. which is nice, especially sometimes if you're, yeah, yeah. someone yeah. who's a
1: beginner. For sure. I like its size too, it's like kind of in that sweet spot of size, about an inch long, maybe a little under. See, Trevor, I love junk
0: flies. I love when the trout are in that season where they're eating junk flies as a mm. primary choice, really. The green weenie for me turns on in the summertime and it kind of lasts through right about now, middle or end of October. Um, And then, oh, in December, middle of December for me, the egg really takes over. And that's going to go all winter. If you go out in January and they won't eat an egg imitation, you're probably in trouble. I'll usually pair that up with a a second fly being a lot smaller, usually, and more natural. Those seasons where they will eat the egg all winter long, and that summer where they'll eat the green weenie, for me, it really pairs down fly selection. And then I just focus on presentation. So those are my two favorite junk
1: flies. I like it.
3: I'm going to shift gears for us out of flies. So uh, yesterday I was on the river, and um, I dropped my nice pair of sunglasses somewhere along the creek. Don't know if they're on the bank somewhere or in the in the bottom of the deepest hole. Don't That's know. That's the worst. Here's my question for you guys: What is the uh, worst thing you ever lost on the river? Be it uh, walking in, drop it in the water, a physical object of yours that you took there and lost. I lost an entire box of flies. The whole uh, thing, uh,
2: chock uh, full. That is just uh, hours and of hours self, and self-tied. of self-tied flies. Yeah. yeah, yep. That's that's tough. Oh man, I, that might be the worst ride. thing it's you brutal. can lose. Yeah, I mean, you can you can break a rod, and, and yeah. probably it's worse to lose your fly
4: box. Right. That's true. I found Josh's net that he left on a lost right. on a stream. I was one there time. that oh, day. You, yeah, was, you did. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. But, uh, and and we filled it with trash. <laughs> <laughs>
2: i didn't you know it's better than what i usually fill it with so which is nothing suckers i do
1: <laughs> suckers. I don't know <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs>
1: how about anybody Wait, else
0: suckers and stalkers quick, oh, i'm sorry real quick side story joey and i yesterday were fishing a hole and there's some nice trout in there and then we foul hooked a sucker And I handed off the rod to him because I thought it was a trout. And he's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh,
1: this thing's so heavy, (laughs) right? I'm sorry, go ahead. We're back on track, back on track. So I lost a Hardy ultralight, eight and a half foot. No. Four weight. Did you? Lost, never got it back. In a hole. So I did get it back. Well, then. About three hours later, Mm. I, I I fished a streamer with like six split shot through this hole that I'd lost it in. I was, you know, you that didn't rod, hook your that, rod. I hooked my rod. <laughs> <I> hooked my <laughs> my you got to tell us how you yeah. dropped it first. So, you know that no-hand holder, like uh Opros makes this, right. yeah. this fly. Yeah, so it has this no. little thing you pull over it to secure it. Didn't pull it over. And I was fishing two – I had two rods because I was, like, trying to be all fish two rods and fish dry real dropper. and Instagramming. Yeah. yeah, real Instagramming. <laughs> yeah. And – and it was, the water was up a little bit and somehow I didn't even notice when this rod, it just peeled off and it must've just kind of flipped up over beside me and just like it rolled off my holster and it was not there. And I had mm. no idea when I'd lost it. And I just mm. like, cause I was waiting kind of up over my waist sometimes and stuff. And so I was like, I was devastated cause it had, you know, it had a $300 reel on it. It's an $800 rod. Yeah. It's like, wow. yeah, I mean... That's a, that was a big loss. So how did you know where it ended and up to look for it? I didn't. I, com- I completely, by accident, snagged it. That's amazing. In a hole. That is Three hours later. That is amazing. Fishing Ooh. back downstream. You snagged it. You mean with? Snagged it. With the That's, other rod. With a heavy, with a heavy streamer. The, with the other rod and a heavy streamer that I was trying to get down in this big hole. Were
0: you de- like, and, like deliberately probing that nope, area to try to? no? Nope. Wow. No, no way. Isn't that not not on, on purpose. That's yep.
1: fortuitous.
3: That's <laughs> yeah, crazy. I know. Good for you. Wow. Yeah.
1: That never works. I know. <laughs> no, yeah. no, that doesn't work. <laughs> Had I been trying to find it, I never would have found it. <laughs> no, that
0: doesn't work. I've I've lost two uh fish nomad hand nets. And mm. those that's my favorite net. I lost <laughs> two of them. Yeah. Both both times it was my fault. That, neither time was I able to
4: find the net. Somebody else did, I'm sure.
1: Hmm.
4: Yeah. Bill, did you ever lose anything? Uh so I guess the most memorable loss I have is uh I was on vacation the first day um we had driven like 6 hours to this tailwater and we were going to float it for those 5 or 6 days and so the first day uh the first fish we hook uh, it was a decent sized rainbow so Greg brought it to the boat I netted it uh took, got it out of the net took a picture of it and then I sat the net down and so I had a pontoon boat, and when I sat the net down, it went through the center of it, and it slowly went out into a Viking funeral, and it just slowly sank into this <laughs> hole that had to be about 15 feet deep that we could not see, and so that was the beginning of it, and then uh, later on in the same day at the end of the float, uh, we were coming through this bigger hole, and then all of a sudden, I just heard this big kaplooch. It behind us. Uh, I looked around, and the anchor cord had worn thin, and so we lost the anchor Ugh, for the boat. No, that's probably my most memorable loss. And back to back, if I would had Trevor with me, he'd have caught both of them in like an hour out of the yeah, bottom of the true. river. Yep,
0: Bill, do you have a question for us? I do.
4: When when does fishing a hole turn into the point where you're fishing it too long and it becomes unethical? Oh,
0: unethical. Unethical? You mean like so, if you catch 50 fish out of a hole, now all of a sudden
4: you're beating up the trout too much? I, I mean, if you go to a river and you stand there for four hours and you fish the same hole, do you think that's unethical? I think it depends on how many fish you catch. I don't think it depends on the amount of fish, but you're you're adding pressure to that spot. Are you thinking of guys who... you're asking for
1: opinions. Don't tell him he's wrong. That's right. That's (laughs) right. Hey,
0: thank
3: you. Thank you. I'm just as right as anybody else. Bill, are you thinking thinking of guys who are are like targeting certain spots for big fish or just in general?
4: I guess just in general. I guess, do you think it's unethical to stand at a hole and fish it for, let's say, two hours? So I
1: think, I, I don't know. I think situationally, that could be unethical. And particularly if you're fishing a warm stream with springs and the well, fish are just piled up yeah. into, you know, like 10 foot by 10 foot section right. and you're just hammering them, I, I don't find that very ethical, very fun, very... Like there's nothing in that that's very related to sportsmanship, right? Good point. But, but I don't otherwise, in a large hole, in normal conditions, I don't know that ethics to me come into that. I just think if you really want to spend your time fishing the same hole for four hours, do, like, I don't know. I'm nobody to tell you not to. I wouldn't do it because I'd get bored, I think. Right. But I'm, I'm pretty much with uh, all of that. I feel the same yeah. way. Now, I, I earlier said, you know,
0: if you catch 50 fish, I'll even say if you're catching a dozen fish maybe out of that same, same spot or very close to the same spot, then yeah, move on. Quit beating up those fish. But if I'm fishing for, you said, two hours, and let's say I catch, say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say six. Six fish. Out of that one spot, I don't think it's unethical. I don't think added
3: fishing pressure just because I saw my fly a bunch of times. I don't have a problem with that. I know there's places out west where there's there's rules where mm-hmm, right. uh, you, you know you get in line and you cycle through and you better not break the order. I know. And uh, guys do that
4: all day long, and it's mm-hmm. accepted. Bill, what do you think? I think it's a fine line. I don't know. I just think that added is that added pressure good for the fish?
0: Well, hmm. is fishing good for the fish? Eh. <laughs> hey, you're, you're teaching them stuff. Uh, I, I got, <laughs> yeah. you are teaching. Them. That's true. That's true. Teaching them who's boss. Yeah. <laughs> A friend of ours fished many, many times in the same spot over and over, and then when I went back with this, that same pattern, they wouldn't eat it, and they wouldn't eat it for him either. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you can definitely teach the fish. I think what Bill, you know, I, I agree with what mm-hmm. you're saying there. You can teach them. I don't know if it's unethical. Um, if you're catching and releasing fish, at a, at a, you know, in a fair way, um, you, you, you know, we're releasing. We've done the whole thing on how to hold a trout, how to handle a trout. If you're doing that, I think that for me, for me, that's where the ethics are. Um, as far as catching and releasing them, cool. Do it as, many, as as often as you can. I don't really have numbers on it that much. Um, I like the question. I, I think it's
1: provocative. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, mine's kind of provocative. I was wondering if you guys <laughs> what what's your what's your Top pet peeve about social media posts in regards to fly fishing.
4: Bill, go ahead. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I've got, I, I've I've the got floors open.
1: <laughs> I, dun, dun, I, I dun, dun, had run. this
4: same question written down. Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: nice, nice.
4: I think it's the elaborate story these days. Every fish that gets posted comes with four hundred character post about this or that. I don't know. I fish I catch it doesn't always have to be a story it's just okay i caught a fish a little self-adulating maybe yeah i don't know and and to each his own and i guess i don't i don't look down upon those people i guess i'm just saying to me i'm like oh man another one and I, i read like Three words of it, and then I skip on.
0: You're not looking down, but it does bug you. That's all you're saying. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm in. I, I kind of come in a little bit on the defensive about that because I'm the writer, right? I'm the, I'm the one who's going to tell you a story about the big fish that I caught.
1: That's what I do. What else you guys got?
0: I'll throw out like locations. Like some people get real
2: creative with locations. Right. When they have location tags on them, and mm. I like that. But when it's like Brown Town or like, mm, yeah, or or any reference to butter. <laughs> none yet. yeah that really gets on my oh.
0: skin no butter yeah. no more yeah. butter it's been done <laughs> yeah uh, Josh yeah. what I thought you were going to say is locations my ba- My answer is when people spot burn that's the oh, most yeah. for sure. that's the worst yeah, thing yeah. on social media I was fishing you know River X and I was fishing the, the such and such access on River X and I I fished you know on a right side bank and right where the spring comes in and I caught 10 trout and they were all eating such and such no thanks yeah absolutely you know Keep that to yourself. Here, I,
2: was, I was kind of going at it from like, that to me seems just like that shit is universally bad. Like everybody should agree with that. Right, but it's, oh, I, know, I know, not everybody does, right. but in my opinion, I think everybody should agree right. that, that that's that's a mm. bad thing. I was thinking more of just like, a, there's nothing that really cares. inherently wrong with referring to your brown trout as a stick of butter. Butter. Or, or referring <laughs> to the location in which you caught it as brown trout. There's nothing you. inherently wrong with that. It just bugs yes, me. Yes, there is. Not that yeah. there's uh, anything wrong with that.
3: No, no, not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with or, it. Or if they don't mention the access, maybe they make no attempt at hiding a very obvious uh, structure or feature. Yeah. Uh, bridge landmark, of you know, some kind. Turn your back the other way. You'll put it yeah. towards the bank, not towards the bridge across yeah. the, the creek, you know? I, we really that. should do a whole
0: spot-burning uh, podcast, quite, yeah. quite honestly, because I think it is the, the one of the most detrimental things out there. Yeah. Um and everybody's going to tell you well everybody knows about that river it's it's popular it's a blue ribbon trout stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't need more attention and it doesn't need you to tell the whole world exactly where to go fish it.
1: Yeah, I agree. All good ones. You got an answer to your own question there, Trevor. I was going to say just like the thinly veiled attempts at selling things, you know, and I think that just follows along the influencer line of line of thinking and we talked earlier about just like trying to sell sex through, through social media posts. Even, sure. And that's even worked its way into, into fly fishing and, mm-hmm. and maybe less so with trout still. And certainly like wild trout and the type of fishing we do, but it's worked its way in. And so, yeah, I don't like that stuff. While
0: well, you're here, go visit the Trout Pit and Shop.
1: That's right, the Trout Pit yeah. <laughs> Shop. <laughs> right. No, I'll be,
0: I mean, I, I try to be, so, you know, Trout Pit has sponsors and we have companies sponsoring this podcast. There's, there's uh, mm-hmm. ads on the Trout Pit and website. That's part of what funds this whole project. But I'm always really yeah. upfront about that stuff. When I do uh, gear reviews, well, that's part of my policy. And when companies give me stuff or stuff comes my way, and I'm always really, really clear with everybody, hey, I probably am not going to review this, you know, because my gear reviews come very sparingly. And even like the ads that I run, I don't, I won't run ads from companies that I don't really like their stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know. There are lines to be drawn, and it's easy for sure. me to say where those lines are for me, but it's hard for me to... Determine where they should be for others. Hey, let's take a real short break. We'll be right back. Fulling Mill is the world's leading producer of flies, fly boxes, hooks, beads, and tippet. Known for their barbless hooks, they have many of your favorite trout patterns tied barbless. Not only that, they feature patterns from anglers like George Daniel, Pat Weiss, Josh Miller, Joe Goodspeed, and many others from around the world. Every pattern is backed by the 200% Fulling Mill guarantee. If a fly isn't up to the highest standards that you expect, they will replace it with two that are. Stock up at foolingmill.com or ask for the flies at your local dealer. Whether you're on the water or at the fly tying bench, Avid Max has you covered. Avidmax.com offers an impressive scope of premium brands and products to help you achieve your ultimate goal, success on the water. A catalog of over 19,000 products includes everything a fly angler or fly tire desires. With fast shipping and expert knowledge, you get the gear you need when you need it. Listeners of the Trout Pitin Podcast receive a discount when shopping at avidmax.com with the coupon code TROUTPITTEN10. No spaces. Enter the code at checkout to get 10% off your first order. From high mountain streams to the salt flats, AvidMax has the gear and expertise to elevate your game.
2: All right, guys, I got a question for you. Yeah. If you had one cast... To catch a fish one cast Ooh. describe the exact water type that you're <laughs> going
0: to hit it would absolutely be Bill's uh, big fish speed water um, seriously bank stuff next to fast stuff you know soft seam next to fast stuff the soft seam is on the bank side the fish gets all the protection of the bank can I please have some overhead you know hanging brush too mm-hmm. you know and they'll hang out in that's soft stuff and then they'll dart over into the little bit faster current that's where I'd go How long's my cast? 25 feet. Because I want ultimate accuracy. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty good. I'm fishing nymphs, by the way.
4: I I would go right at the break point of the run. Mm -hmm. I'd look for the juiciest run that just slow riffle into a big pool, and I would hit the absolute Mm -hmm. head of that Mm pool. Yep, that's another great spot. And how long's your drift going to be, Bill? Oh, my drift would be as long as I can get it. So... (laughs) (laughs) But the sweet spot uh, is right
0: there at the spill spillout,
4: right? Yeah, um, I'm drifting at probably thirty to forty feet because if, if I get one cast, I want to maximize it. You know, walk down with it. I will. Yeah. Oh, you um, mean I'll, like Seriously, one cast?
0: I get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The but,
4: twenty dollars. This is the, the twenty dollars cast.
0: That's right. For my kids, yeah. I give them twenty dollars. That's actually they a good get to sword. call their yeah. shot. They get to call their shot uh, once every every trip. And they get to say, hey dad, this is my $20 cast. If they catch a fish on that cast, they have to land it. $20. (laughs) You
3: got you (laughs) in the last one, too. Joey's
0: done it a couple times, but with bass. And I'm like, yeah, it's I don't know. Uh, It's a little different.
3: Up for debate. I'm looking for that juiciest run that goes into that spill-out and goes into a deep trough. Yeah. That is a walking-paced. Whatever, and I can drift that thing for a hundred feet plus. <laughs> hundred <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm in with a bobber. You just it's walk, bobber. It. just oh, walk it down. Stuff. Yeah, just walk it down from thirty feet away. I'm, I'm, I'm wiggling the rod tip. I'm letting that mono
4: out. I don't need to move.
0: <laughs> extension <laughs> or
4: planted. <laughs> uh, Are you gonna walk it for the next run? If it doesn't, if it doesn't, uh, yeah. I'm gonna troll like you. Troll, I'm troll it. it up to the next troll run. It's it's just yep. a troll it at troll. the end.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so we're taking this one cast thing to extreme. <laughs> yeah. What's yours, Josh?
2: Nah, uh, you guys pretty much covered it. I'm probably gonna pick something with uh, decent structure as well. I mean, there, there's a really specific spot that I'm thinking of with a really nice fallen log, and uh, it really cuts off right beneath it. Yeah, and it's deep, and it goes into a, a good run, and I'd hit right at the top of that where the the roots kind of create this. The roots create an eddy. And then that eddy just turns into a really, really nice just
0: drop-away cut. Yeah. Wherever we're fishing, I would like to warm up <laughs> before I take that one cast. <laughs> meaning, <That's true>. meaning <laughs> I'm going to fish the secondary water right next to it, and then I kind of come into it. Bill asked how long was my cast. I gonna say 25 feet away. 25 feet, mostly upstream, and let's say over 10 feet if I'm nymphing. That's my favorite. Seriously, that's my favorite uh, uh, length and range. And I'm going to tuck it in. But what I'm going to do is fish that 25 feet of line as I approach it, you know, and I'll fish to the right of it, let's say. Now I'm going to get Mm -hmm. pretty nice drift right there in pretty nice water. And now I'm going to take a step to the left and I'm going to get closer. I'm going to do that. And then eventually I'm going to, all right, here we go. I'm going to take that one step over and now I'm in perfect range. Mm -hmm. My arm has been doing the same thing for the last three minutes, maybe five minutes, whatever, on my way over there.
4: And now I'm ready and i'm just saying i think there's some value in warming up so if you're if you're warming up and you're warming up let's how, how far are you warming up away from the juicy spot two feet three feet and so what if that fish in the juicy run decides that he sees your fly and he bolts over and by the time it takes him to bolt over he displaces and he stops feeding he displaces and stops feeding so let's say it's it's a day when the fish are feeding aggressively. So you're expecting to fish the the juicy spot of the run. And so you work your way over to that run. And let's say, you know, 15 casts before you hit the really good part of that run. What if that fish chases your fly three or four feet? And then by the time you're done with your drift, it's a short drift, you pick up and that fish is completely moved away from that spot. So that's the stuff yeah. I was just
0: talking about. On a nymph, he's not going to do that. And if he does, it, he's probably not the that's fish I was looking for.
3: What if it's a it jump fly? It might
0: move. It might, but yeah. it's not going to move three or four feet. It and I would, the counter argument is, well, what if I thought he was over in that soft water, but he had actually moved over and he was in the fast water. And I, you know, I, I, I walked right through him and I, he never got a chance. So I do that's feel, a good like, point. I yeah. do feel like your best bet is to fish the secondary stuff on your way over. And again, I'm talking with nymphs. And I'm even like a stonefly nymph. One of my biggest nymphs that I fish, they're not going to move three or four feet for it. Not these fish. I have a story that goes along right right with that what you just said, Dom. And that's so my
2: family was up visiting because we just had the kid, and my dad and I got out to fish, and we were fishing a section that I there was there was a really really specific and very very small target that I knew I have hooked really good fish in this spot before so i my my dad was fishing with me he's a he's a very good angler, yeah, and he was working into that spot and I kind of advised him like I think that you should work into this spot because the water around it is good enough that there's going to be that there's going to be fish in, too, in there too and and sure enough he he hooked into pro- what what I think is probably the best fish in that spot yeah. on in the marginal water surrounding that spot and and I just think that just goes to show that it's not always that those fish those fish aren't always sitting in the in the slack, perfect water. They're not always you know, where
0: you think they are. Right there. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that might be their their primary, but they're going to move around in that area.
0: Bill, you and I talked a lot about displacing fish. I get it. I understand where you're coming from, especially with a streamer. Your argument is that you need your best cast to be your first cast.
4: And so I, I've seen it with nymphs. You say that they don't move. Mm-hmm. I, fish, I fish the water when it's clear and you can physically see that fish when it le, le, the fly lands and that fish is four like two like let's say it's a one seam over, which is let's say two and a half to three feet, I've seen that fish move and come over to that fly because it was like, "Oh hey, there's food there, yeah, and it followed it and it completely followed it three quarters of the way and was like, "Ah, don't like this, and so then I'm out of here and so that that fish was displaced during that time. I see it most of the time when it's low and gin clear. When it's gin clear and those fish can see a bigger, like have a bigger vision of the the bottom, I feel like they're more apt to maybe chase like a size eight stone fly. Oh, see, I disagree. When it's gin clear, that's that's when they're
0: most, uh, most wary, uh, most careful. Reserved. I think, yeah, reserved, nice. Yeah. I think that's when they're even less likely to move three or four feet to go get a, they're spooky. And so I think though maybe when they're gin clear is when we can see them the most. That's fair. I don't know what the, what the answer though is, Bill, because like I said, you you could go right to the to the, what you think is the prime lie all the time and set a fish in the secondary stuff on the way
4: over to it. You know what I mean? There's no there's no perfect answer. No, there isn't. And I've I've spooked the fish in the slack water, thinking that they were laying in that yeah. juicy spot, trying to walk to it. Right so on. same me too. Damn it. D- Damned if you do, damned if <laughs> you don't. Right. That's right. Sloop always instilled
3: in me to to work your way into it uh, yeah, you know you you never know how close they are to you. Also, yeah, they could be three steps ahead of you and you haven't spooked off or haven't even noticed you're there yet. And, you know, put yeah. a cast in, move on. Yeah, can't mm-hmm. hurt you.
0: Too bad. That's pretty much where I am. Even if you, I like what you're saying. The term you're using, Bill, you're saying displaced, meaning if the fish moves for it that far and he doesn't eat it then he's probably not going to eat, you know, again, he's done. He's done. He's like, whoa, I shouldn't have done that. And uh, I'm a big trout and I should have been more reserved. I feel a little silly. <laughs> and so I'm just going
4: <laughs> to. It's a little embarrassed. <laughs> a little embarrassed.
0: So I'm, I'm just, Yeah.
4: He's got junk fly shame. He's going to walk. <laughs> yes. He's
0: going to hide under a rock. <laughs> That's right. Right, right. He's <laughs> shamed into not, not moving again, you know, for the next hour or two. I get what you're saying. I think it's a great argument. And it's one of the things that makes fishing difficult, you know. And uh, especially chasing the bigger ones. Hey, I have a question. Um, what's the biggest lie in fly fishing right now? How about tippet size? Okay. Tell us, tell us what you think about tippet size.
4: What's the trend? What's the lie? And what's your take? I think Trevor talked about this a little bit. It's, it's almost like a bragging, right? Like, hey, I caught a fish on 7X. Yeah. Or I was fishing 6X. It took me 25 X, right? minutes. Yeah, 25 minutes. Yeah. To me, I think it's one of the most overemphasized things in trout fishing. If you can make a good cast, it doesn't matter if it's 1X, 3X, 2X, or 7X to 80% of the fish. Mm -hmm. There there are fish, I think, probably in different sections and maybe across the nation that maybe that does matter. But the majority of fish, I don't think the tippet size matters. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like the lie is we had to fish 5X or we had to fish 7X today to get these fish to eat. I hear you. For me,
0: I don't think that uh, trout are leader shy or tippet shy. I think they're drag shy and it's a lot easier. It is. It's easier to get a drag free drift on a uh, 16 sulfur dry on 7X than it is on 3X. I'm not even, I, I don't, I'm not going to advocate for using 3X on that fly. For me, I'd probably fish it on 5X. Um, I'm using a tippet that is flexible enough so that fly has some movement, some wiggle to it. I think that's what they care about if you put it on 1X, that's
3: not going to happen. But you can absolutely get it on 5X. The biggest lie, one that bothers me, you could call it a misconception maybe, mm-hmm. is that you can only Euro nymph with Euroflies. <laughs> Euro and flies. that's just simply not true. Yeah. Right. We all know that. Yeah. You can yeah. use any sort yeah. of traditional standard fly you want. Any and you fly. You can do the same thing. Right. Take your confidence flies from how you've been fishing your whole life
0: and throw some split shot in front of them and you're fine use the same tactics. You might even catch more fish. Right on. Biggest lie. Josh, what do you think, man?
2: I want to say biggest lie, I think it probably usually goes unsaid and it's left to assume that the pictures that we're seeing are are mostly of wild trout. Mm. And I just don't think that's the case. There's a lot of, of pictures that are taken of, of club trout and holdover trout mm-hmm. uh, setups, you know? Right. And so I think that the pictures that... I mean, I think that most of us are would be embarrassed to, put, to post a picture of, of a fish of a fish that we thought might not be wild. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's the case for most of what people see, and so misconceptions about and expectations about fishing are are greatly influenced by by social media right now. Mm. And I think that a lot of the big, huge fish pictures that you see are not real.
0: Uh that's a good answer. I'm uh, with that. And so have just yeah just. I have right expectations of what you're going to catch out there. Mm-hmm. Sure. We
4: talked about that in the uh,
0: yeah. hierarchy of river trout.
4: Right. Yeah. Podcast. Yeah. Yep. I, I had a question about how long do you think it takes to fish for a fish to reset and start feeding again? If you fished it but didn't walk through it, I think they need
0: a half hour to reset. If you fished it and did not walk through it. But if you walk through it, I feel like they need an hour or maybe, let's say two hours. I think they need a long time to really reset the best fish to really reset if you walked through it. But if you just fished through it, I'd give
4: him a half hour. I, I yeah. feel like if you walk by and look at a fish, you know, like <laughs> game over that <laughs> game over that it's, day. It's, that's it for the day. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's right. <laughs> that's true.
2: Come, come back tomorrow. Thanks, bud. You're right. Thank you very much. Boy, I took you guys, I took my little brother there a couple of days ago. Yeah. Cause he came up separately to visit and, and he's still learning, but he's getting okay at figuring out his drifts on the mono rig. And, um, Man, we could not fool a fish. I could not get him to fool a fish to save our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, and it was, it was a bummer because I was like, no, just like, here's where you want it. And here's where you want your indicator to be above the water. Like, that, I mean, and I mean the cider, not the indicator. And I cast it and I caught a fish. I'm like, oh, shoot. That was the fish he was going to catch out of there. Uh Now we have to find a new spot, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that, that, that creek is, is special in in its difficulty sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah. But when it gives it up, oh man, it's oh, beautiful, man. Boy, but boy, the colors were something that day. Yeah, yeah I took I took might. a number of pictures that day. Oh gosh, the fall colors are just unreal,
4: man. So I fished it. Was it not this weekend? The weekend before, and man, they were eating streamers dangerously, <laughs> dangerously. <laughs> hmm. So here here's a question: What characteristic or skill in fly fishing? will help transition someone to the next level of catching more fish. What is, what do you guys think is the most important skill? Mm, Nice. Think, uh, persistence.
0: Oh, I like that.
4: You know, the,
3: the drive to keep going back and putting your boots in the water and spending Mm. hours upon hours Yeah, and, uh, having faith, even when you feel like you're not making progress Mm. to know that the time you're putting in is, is adding up and, um, you know, you just continue to chip away and make that progress and, and reap the benefits. But is it a skill? Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah.
0: That persistence yeah. is going to lead you to every other yeah. skill and lead and you I to think, refine yeah, every other
3: skill. It's a starting point. Persistence yeah. is also something that I think you can build as a skill, too. Because I look back to my initial angling days, and I had a lot of passion. Yeah, But I think I was more apt to, to stop fishing earlier in the day because the, the action was slow. Yeah, and I kind of built up my, my skill of staying later and later through the day and fishing harder. So I think I think you can build persistence um and it's not necessarily something you're just born with.
0: Oh, I'm with you. I think it's Absolutely. definitely a skill. We, I see it all the time. I'm sure you guys too. I'm going to say the average angler trip is 2 to 3 hours and then they're done. Wow.
2: Right. It feels like (laughs) I get out there and then I look at my clock and it's two hours. I'm like, holy cow, where's the time gone? I know. Mm -hmm. I need to get more done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Yeah, I've just started.
0: Yeah, I've just started to dial something in. Yeah. 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 Persistence, man. I love that. I was going to ask, what's the biggest thing that holds anglers back? You know? To me, what I see, it's waiting skill and it's not tying skill. Those are the two Mm. things that hold anglers back the most. So if they can develop those skills, that's going to put them far and away past, you know, what a lot of anglers can kind of approach. Um, Not tying skill, especially wading skill. And you can control both of those. Okay. If you have some knee problems, such and such, you may not be able to wade, wade the deepest water, the fastest stuff, but you can still set yourself up with nice wading staff, boot studs, and understanding how that river's flowing. Wading skill is under your control. Within reason. And knot yeah. tying skill really is. If, if you don't have the knots under your fingers, you're going to be really hesitant to adjust the rig. And if you're not going to adjust the rig, you're kind of dead in the water if you're not going to take what you have on right there. And you're going to spend a lot of time with your fly's knot in the water.
2: Mm, because yeah. even if you want to make those changes or if you want to untangle or if you want to get mm, something out of a yeah. branch or something, then you're going to be spending a lot of time doing it. And Those are, only, those are things that really only time in the water and persistence can solve.
0: Yeah, and you get back to persistence. Yes. Yeah. Yep. If you have a Sunday, you know, for me it was when I when I had two young kids like like you have now 3 Josh when my kids were yeah. your your kids age, um I fished every Sunday. I think my wife kind of liked to have me out of the house every Sunday. She was like, Hey, you can go fishing any Sunday. Hey, <laughs> yeah, you're kind of annoying. <laughs> you're kind of annoying. Get out of the house every Sunday. Six, Seven. Honest, honest to God, after I was daytime dad. So after taking care of the kids, you know, uh, five days a week, I was very happy to be out. I didn't care. I did mm. not care what the con- water conditions were on Sunday. I was going, I didn't care what the weather conditions were. I was going, I was fishing without that. Persistence. You know, you're not gonna get not gonna get to that next level. It's gonna take you you're out there, so you might as well make the most of it.
4: The thing I had in mind was casting. I hear accuracy. Mm -hmm. Sure. Like I, I think accuracy, I think that accuracy makes up for a lot of flaws. I underestimated casting until I started
0: guiding. And then I realized that some very good anglers, some very good anglers, we would, you know, try to add in the next element or a different rig. And all of a sudden, they just couldn't cast it. And, we would, you know, you'd spend the next two or three hours really trying to dial in that true casting stroke, which is, you know, 10 and 2, 11 and 1, and really stop, accelerate between two points and stop. It always comes back to that. It doesn't matter if you're throwing a dry fly rig or a mono rig, even for me, a streamer rig, but this, it's, it's acceleration between two points and it's crisp stops at those two points. So casting to me, it was always kind of a given. Oh, I think, you know, for many years I couldn't cast, but then eventually when I could, I just kind of took it for granted. And, and now I realize what you're saying, Bill, that might be the number one thing.
3: I've said this before too. um, And casting goes right hand in hand with this, but a line control ability. Yeah. Everything that you do, once those flies touch the water, everything you do with retrieving line, maintaining an angle, uh, stabilizing your cider managing slack every little detail of controlling that line's path and effects on your flies below the better you can do those things i think that's the um, next step in taking your angling success to the to the to the further level and um, sure that all starts in the cast yeah
0: they, they very much go hand in hand you know yeah. the casting to get everything set up in the air and as it yeah. lands just as is- perfectly as possible that line retrieval that lifting of the rod yeah. that maintenance that control of that yeah. line boy it's everything
3: yeah yeah and it's kind of like i won't say a, a, a sixth sense but it's something that uh, you eventually kind of get ingrained into you where you know what to yeah. do you,
4: yeah. can, you learn it you learn it you can manipulate the drift so much by just raising the rod lowering the rod oh yeah in taking the rod back if you make a bad cast and you're let's say the line slips out of your hand and you're not ready to retrieve it through experience yeah. you know to just drift that rod back until you can get that left hand nice. or in your case in your case the right hand <laughs> that's right <laughs> um the wrong hand the wrong hand <laughs> and you could you can drift <laughs> it back and until you get that other you know get, get grasp on the line yep to, to start your retrieve and so it's just it's a it's a learned process, like you're saying. Yep. It, it takes time. It sure is learned. It also you have to be kind of persistent,
0: as Austin is saying, <laughs> to to force yourself to use that line hand, for example. I, I have a lot of people, yeah. especially when you're tight line nymphing at close range, who just want to just use the just use the rod hand. And that right. line hand will be down at their side. And I say, hey, let's mix that in. Let's do a little bit of line hand retrieval. Mm-hmm. Just to get yeah. it. Maybe you're only recovering six inches, maybe a foot, but just to get a little bit uh, of that hand involved, because once we go mm-hmm. further out than close distance, you're gonna need it, you know. Yep. And it takes
2: the and it takes the like the the movement of the rod hand out of the equation a little bit more. If you can use your mm. your line hand. Oh, for you sure. don't need to move. Because because you can make much more minute uh, changes mm-hmm. to the drift with your line hand than you can with your rod hand yeah. because you've got a 10 foot extension on your right hand and any movement is going to change more than a couple inches. But with your left hand, mm-hmm. you can make a couple inches of change. Oh, that's and so, sweet. Yep. And I'm sure all of you with, like, with guiding have seen this a lot where... As soon as a, a, a fisherman make makes a change to a drift, you know like that that drift will not catch a fish, or that drift has a real potential to catch a fish, and you can just see it immediately. And usually, it has to do with a, a very slight, a very slight change to the to the, to the drift. Yeah, where it gets in that pocket and it's just right. It's like that's where it has a chance. I sure. love it.
4: And and to piggyback on what you're saying, the like that left hand retrieving the line, mm-hmm. if if you're if you're able to keep that your right hand or in Austin's case the left hand, <laughs> I appreciate your, that. Your, the, Thank the, you. The, all inclusive. You know, <laughs> yes. 55. Yes, I, I I want him to feel <laughs> inclusive. There's nothing wrong with being left-handed. No, not at all. My, my mom's left-handed, so you know I feel hey. for you. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm a weirdo. I'm actually
2: left. I'm so this is this is dead serious, guys. I am fine motor left hand and gross motor right hand. Mm-hmm. So casting and stuff, I use right hand, mm-hmm. but I'm left-handed in writing and eating and all of that, mm-hmm. and and very predominantly, like I can't really switch those things over. So if I'm throwing, if I'm hitting, if I'm casting, I'm right-handed, but everything else, I'm left. I'm broken. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: Just in it's this one okay.
2: way, you're,
1: you're only slightly broken.
4: Uh, you can you can join the uh, the do everything wrong and backwards team of That's Bill, the Dell. Bill, team. The Bill Dell the Bill team. That's right. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take you as my try
0: Have you guys seen people that cast with the right hand and mm. then
3: also reel with the right hand? Yeah, they change it. Can you please explain it? I see that in gear Fishman a lot. It's the idea that your strongest hand yeah. is supposed to be the dominant one, and that mm-hmm. goes. I think like. If you read historical documents mm-hmm. of It's a holdover. The yep. what do you call it, a holdover? It's especially popular in saltwater fishing.
0: Right. So, you know, you can strip on a fly rod. You can strip faster with your right hand if you're right-hand yeah. dominant. So, you're going to cast with your right and then sw- switch it over to your left and then strip 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 as fast as you can with your right. Go
3: I ahead. think like the earliest records of fishing tactics or fishing uh, motor yeah. skills that was how that's how they did it. They they cast with their strongest hand and then they change it over and hold the rod in the opposite hand and then reel in with their strongest hand again. Yeah. So my left hand is the strongest. I cast that
4: rod with the left hand, reel it in with the left hand. Interesting. Bill, how about one more question, bud? What do you have? What do you guys think are your favorite months of the year to fish, and why? January, because nobody's out there. <laughs> mm, I was going to say
0: November for a similar reason. Mm-hmm. Most of the locals around here are hunting in November.
2: Very few, exactly. Very few
0: anglers, yeah
2: and i'm hunting but <laughs> yeah but i but i'm also
0: fishing <laughs> it's shirking my responsibilities as
2: a as a father husband and employee
0: there's something also kind of special to me about beating that cold there there is something there's a challenge Absolutely. there yeah and you guys know what i mean there's a challenge to overcoming 15 degree temperatures
3: i will say there's a special place in my heart for like mid april where mm-hmm. if things are just turning on, the crowds are almost starting to show up. Well, they've shown up by now, but and yeah. stuff just starts to turn green, and you get those couple of magical warm days after the long cold winter. Man, those are fun too. I'll add in that I, I mean, gosh, it's just
2: not a bad month, right? Yeah, especially well here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right here. That's that is a that, that's a good specification to make because we do have a really really incredible opportunity to fish yeah. all all year round with no worries about runoff and. Really, not often do we have to worry too much about overheating and everything. Right. Sometimes. But I'll say uh, October held a special place in my heart for the sake that I'm— just for the fact that I'm a photographer. Oh, I like photo and video, and man, golly, there's just nothing like the colors you get right now. We were
0: just walking the dog today. We were walking River, our Australian Shepherd, and uh, my oldest son, Joey, was with me, and he just commented out of the blue, Man, it's really pretty out here right now, Dad. This is a
4: great time yeah. of the year. I, I'm I'm with Josh. I, I really like October, and spe- this October has been really special because we've had water. Yeah, good water levels, and right. so it's the yeah. it's the good water levels. It's the yeah aesthetics. The other month that I've really started to enjoy is June mm-hmm. because I feel like it's the most predictable oh, yeah. in our area for water conditions. Agreed, mosquito oh, month. I agree with and that. And I I don't know. I've I've seen a lot of times where those bigger fish start to put on that feed in that month because they know the the dog days of summer are coming and so if there's water they're feeding. Do you think they do you think they really like have a good sense of of what's
0: coming? I do. Just like I think they know spawning season is coming and just like I think sure. they know colder water um colder water is coming. Yeah, I think they do. So, well, I guess
2: what I mean by that to to get a little bit more into details, do you think that they have an idea of of the differences in like like last summer to this summer this summer we struggled a little bit more oh, with no. with low and hot water do you think they have some kind of sense for that the way that sometimes animals have a, a sense for for uh, pressure changes and weather changes that are coming
0: no not really i mean so um no i don't think they can predict, yeah, this predict is an the opinion thing. Who, nope. yeah, who are we to say what do you but, think, Bill? yeah
4: i think they have routines and so sure. maybe the routine is I kind of migrate towards this colder water discharge for the summer months and then as it gets worse I may like as it as the temperatures rise, maybe I migrate closer and closer and then maybe you migrate up that trib. Or if you're near that trib and it continues to stay colder, maybe the fish stays in the main river. Man, it would be really interesting to see telemetry studies on like like a large number of rivers to see, like, do these fish migrate all the time or some of the time right. and year to year? It would be really interesting to see that.
0: Like you said, I think they know their, their yearly events, but I don't think they can predict that a, a drought of, you know, three or four months or five months sure. like we had last oh, yeah, fall. Yeah, yeah, sure. A year ago, all we have was drought conditions. I don't think they can predict that. Boy, if they could, (laughs) you know, that'd be something special. They don't have trout tarot cards? No, not so much. All right, guys. Thank you very much for this session. That was a lot of fun. The freewheeling trout and I think we'll do this again. Thanks to everyone out there for supporting the Trout Bitten Podcast. Uh, Let us know if you have questions or suggestions. I'm sure we'll do this again. Okay, remember, Troutbitten.com is a free resource for all anglers. So dig in and check it out. Navigate through the menus and find what you like. Share it. Leave a comment. Use the search page if you're looking for something specific. Navigate by way of the categories and tags, too. Thank you for listening. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment because that really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard. Enjoy the day and find your life on the water.